number 22 this evening. And we're going to be in verse 15 down through verse number 18. And then we'll, uh, we'll be looking at several other chapters in the book of Genesis this evening. Genesis chapter 22, verse 15 down through verse 18. Everybody got it? All right. I'll begin reading verse 15. The Bible says, And the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of heaven the second time and said, By myself have I sworn, and the Lord, uh, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing and hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed, as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is upon the seashore, and thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies." And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Here's where we're getting our sermon idea out of. Look at the end of verse 18. Because, why why will all the seed of the nations of the earth be blessed? Why? Because thou hast obeyed my voice. Because thou hast obeyed my voice. The title of the message this evening is simply this. The blessings of obedience. Let's pray. Help us, Lord, tonight to understand the truth of the sermon, and then, Lord, to go forth and do our best to practice what we've heard. Thank you for the good people of this church and how hard they labor to serve you. And we pray, Lord, that you bless them for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Well, before we get into the message, I have something I want to share with the church. Um, I, um, it's been neat to see the progression here. A little... Amanda, how long has it been since you've come back? year and a half. year and a half ago, Amanda said, Paul, that I walked in the back door of the church, and she was anything but friendly. <laughs> Antisocial to the max, and just carrying a lot of uh, burdens and problems. And, and her, it, this, was her, her sec, this is her second stint of being here. She had come as a, as a youngster. And she began to come faithful, and she began to warm up to our church, and then um, um, she really began to grow and ask a lot of questions and read her Bible, and uh, she moved into her own apartment and really began to thrive as an adult Christian young lady. And so she came to my wife and I some months back, and she said, God is calling me to full-time Christian service, and I need to go to college, to a college that will train me for full-time Christian service. She said, where should I go? And so I scribbled down uh, five, six, seven Bible colleges, and I didn't give her any sort of, uh, uh, I like this one more than the rest. I just gave her the paper and said, here, or I think it was a text message I sent her, and uh, it had uh, some in California, I think one, one was in Michigan, um, uh, one down in Jersey, one here in Connecticut, and then one in Indiana. And I said, uh, look them all up online, and you decide which one that you want us, my wife and I, to take you to visit. And when you settle on one, then we will take you out there and let you see that college, whatever, wherever it is. You, you pray over it and decide, make a list of pros and cons. And so she did, and she came back and she said, Pastor, I want to go see Hiles Anderson College. And so last week, my wife and I took Amanda, and we, uh, we went uh, out to Indiana, and she spent some time in the dorms. She uh, spent some evenings in the dorms and got up and went to classes with the students, 
And at the end of the week, she said, the Holy Spirit is moving in my heart and making it clear to me that I need to be a student here and I would like to start in the fall. And so Amanda wanted me to share with the church her decision to go out to Bible college and study for ministry. So uh, let's give Amanda a round of applause. I think that's a big deal. That's a big decision. Pray for her. Uh, in the weeks and months to come, Satan would love nothing more than to distract her, discourage her, or sideline her. So as a church family, let's surround her and encourage her uh, to, um, to keep walking the walk and doing what she's doing. So excited for you, Amanda. Wanted to share that with you. She said a lot of people have been asking her, and so I just thought I would just tell everyone at once for her, and that would help her out there. So uh, congratulate her after the service. Genesis 22. Genesis 22. We find... Uh, the story of Abraham and Isaac in the land of uh, Moriah, where he uh, takes his son up to be sacrificed. I believe everybody here is familiar with the story. And the angel that held his hand and kept him from plunging the knife into his son on the altar, uh, and I've heard that story like all of you have many, many, many times, but what I think was not told to me in Sunday school, which would have been a great teaching point for a children's Sunday school class, was the second thing the angel said, and it was uh, about this area of obedience, this area of obedience, that because you have obeyed, all nations of the earth shall be blessed. Uh, Let's see, two Sunday evenings ago, I believe it was, we looked at the rules that relationships bring. We talked about how that if you're going to have a relationship with God, there must be rules to govern that relationship. And we talked about how the emphasis is to be on having a relationship first, and then the rules are emphasized second. Now, can I tell you as a father of two children that the rules are very important? They're very important. They're important because when the rules are broken, harmony in the home is shattered. At least temporarily, it's shattered. When my children don't obey me, or when I was a boy and I did not obey my father, we went from having happiness in the home to having misery in the home. And when they were really little and they were getting in trouble all the time, there was just a lot of misery in our home. A lot of misery in our home. Some of you here have a two, three, four, five-year-old, and they're, uh, they do what they want, not what you want, and it's constant correction, constant punishment, and you go to bed at night and you just wonder, is this ever going to come to an end? And i got to tell you, stay the course, stay the course. It will eventually come to an end. Where we have gotten to in a place in our home at the Lejeune house is that the children obey the rules, Why? Now, they're not perfect. They break the rules sometimes. But why is it that, for the most part, they keep the rules? They keep the rules not only because they're afraid of being punished. They keep the rules because they don't want to break the natural flow and order of the relationship they have with mom and dad. When when obedience is followed, there is joy. When obedience is not followed, there is misery. There is disorder. The beauty of correction after, after a, a, a disobedience 
is that following the correction, following the punishment, is the immediate restoring of fellowship and order in the home. In the home. It tells my children that, look, you broke the rules, fellowship was broken, mom and dad were upset with you or not in communication with you for a short period of time, and the punishment was administered, and now we can go back to having what we had prior to the rules being broken. So many Christians don't know what it's like to live in harmony with God because they live in constant disobedience. When we obey, our life is a lot better. When we don't obey God and His Word, and we're living in obvious disobedience, then it's a constant pricking of the Holy Spirit from within. It's a constant chastisement from the hand of God in our lives. Maybe He touches your health. Maybe He touches your finances. Maybe He touches some relationship and there's a struggle there. I see some folks who just constantly gripe and complain about everything. And i got to tell you, as a pastor, it wears on you. It wears on you sometimes. And you think, well, maybe the complaint they're making is valid, and if we make this change and this change, they'll be happy. And what I've learned is that people who are just enjoy, or people who just complain, it doesn't matter what you change, they'll just find something new to complain about. It shows a heart of misery deep within. There have been times where I've thought to myself, boy... As much as that person complains, I would hate to live inside their skin. They must just be miserable on the inside. Why would a person be miserable on the inside when they have the comforting Holy Spirit? What was the Holy Spirit called in John, John 14? It's called the Comforter. Well, good night. If you've got the Comforter living inside of you, why are you complaining so much? You know why? Because you're not in harmony with the Comforter. There aren't comforting words coming out of your mouth. There's complaining words coming out of your mouth. That shows a disharmony between you and God. We could talk about, we're going to talk about the blessings of obedience tonight, but we could talk about the cursing of disobedience. Well, we get here to Genesis 22, and we really are seeing the apex of the story. Where Abraham has just obeyed God in something radical that God has commanded him to do. But it wasn't always that easy for Abraham. It was a journey. The truth is, is that I don't always obey God in my life. And I'm going to guess that neither do you. The truth is, I mess up from time to time. I drop the ball. But I hope... That when God looks at the body of the work of my life, what he sees is an overall desire and an overall compliance to what he told me to do. Oh, in the story of my life, there will be days and even seasons of times where I was not obedient. But I hope that those don't define me. What defines me is an overall desire and a coming back to obeying what God told me. The question tonight really would center around this. Is your relationship with God right? Is there obedience and a compliance to what God tells you to do? I had a, in fact, let's, let's turn over there. Uh, hold your place in Genesis. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 11. I had a church member ask me about this verse recently. And I said, listen, I understand where Paul was coming from because I can totally relate from time to time. 1 Corinthians, Paul wrote the book of 1 Corinthians to a very carnal church. 
And we'll look at verse 11, then I'll explain it. It says there, If we, this is speaking of the preachers who have come in and preached in that church, if we have sown unto you spiritual things, it is a great thing if, uh, is it a great thing if we shall reap your carnal things? You know what Paul is saying here? Me and Apollos and, and, and Peter, we're coming in and we're throwing out spiritual seeds into the soil of your church. And what we're getting back is a harvest of carnality. And he, and he asks, is that a good thing that we're sowing spiritual things and we're getting back carnal things? One of the areas that God has grown me in my tenure of being in the ministry, and I think I had well learned this prior to my arrival at White Oak Baptist, but uh, one of the things I've had to learn is that if I preach it on Sunday, a lot of people are not going to start living it on Monday. That's not how it works. Some of you are looking at me like, well, why? It can be... It can be frustrating as a spiritual leader, whether that's of a church or of a, of a wife or of children or of a Sunday school class or of a bus route uh, or over you oversee a ministry. Maybe you're a deacon here and you have influence in the church. Uh, maybe uh, with the addictions ministry. It can be frustrating when you are you get up and you bear your soul to people about how they're to live. And if they'll go forth and live what's preached, boy, their life will be so much better. And then people go forth and it's almost like you just got ignored. Almost like you just got ignored, and you see patterns continue in people's life. Now, for most of you, especially that are here this evening, that isn't the case. But for uh, for us, it can be. Can I tell you though? I'm not throwing stones at anybody, and I'm not griping. I have sat in the pew many times and heard a sermon preached that I knew I needed, and went forth and made no changes. I have done it. Listen, I have preached sermons behind this pulpit where I knew I needed to make changes based on what I preach, and I didn't go forth and always change. It's a good day when we learn that if we'll just do it God's way, our life will be a whole lot better. And where God, God's Spirit whispers in our spirit and says, boy, that area right there has got needs some tweaking, needs some adjusting, needs to radically change, that we drop our head and say, Lord, I am committed to making those changes. Well, I want to give you four thoughts this evening about Abraham and talk about the journey to him being obedient in such a radical way. And I think tonight we'll be able to relate with Abraham quite a bit. Number one, notice God's selection. God's selection. Turn back over to Genesis chapter 12, where the story of Abraham really begins, and For the sake of the message tonight, we're just going to call him Abraham, unless we're reading a scripture that calls him by the name Abram. His name would later be changed from Abram to Abraham, and Sarah would have her name changed from Sarai, but we'll refer to him tonight as Abraham and Sarah. Look at Genesis chapter 12, verse number 1. The Bible says, Now the Lord had said unto Abraham, or Abram rather, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, Unto a land that I will show thee, and I will make of thee a great nation. And I will bless thee, and make thy name great, 
and thou shalt be a blessing. What was Abraham commanded to do? He was commanded to leave behind everybody and everything. Leave behind his family, his kindred, leave behind his security blanket, pack all of his stuff up and begin traveling to a land. He had no idea where he was going. Load the U-Haul and start driving and I will tell you where to go. Wow. Why did God pick Abram? Abraham. Why did God pick him? God had all of these people on the earth he could have chosen, but he chose Abraham. Why? Why? A couple of weeks ago we talked about God's need and desire for companionship, his desire for intimacy, spiritual intimacy. At this moment, there wasn't an Enoch who walked so close with God to be translated. The, the communicating with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden was long in the past. Noah found grace in the sight of the Lord. Well, that was back in chapter 6. At this point, Noah's long gone. God needed to have companionship with somebody. And he looked down over the whole earth and he picked Abraham. Because he knew that Abram, later to be called Abraham, he knew that Abraham would comply. He knew that he would live a life of obedience, and he would follow God's plan. I wonder when God looks down at you and I, if he doesn't maybe pay some of us a little bit extra attention because he knows that our heart and desire to comply is there. I remember when I was a school teacher, I would... um, You're not supposed to have favorites. But can we be honest? Any teacher that works with the same 25 children for nine months develops a favorite or two. You might not uh, say it out loud, but you develop a favorite or two. And who are those favorites? They're the ones that follow the orders and do what they're told and do it with the right spirit. And when you need something, you, you tend to ask them before you ask anybody else. I think maybe sometimes God looks down at us and he says, you know, I'd ask him to do it, but he's not going to do it. And we miss out. We miss out on a chance to see God do something great because God knows flat out we, we're not going to obey. I don't want to be one of those Christians. I want to be one of those Christians. God looks down and says, you know what? I'm going to ask that guy right there because I know if I ask him to do it, it it's going to be a journey for him to get there. But all in all, he's going to live a life of obedience. Number two, notice Abraham's sins. Abraham's sins. Well, see, we have a tendency... To, to gloss over the shortcomings of those who lived a life of great faith and not focus on the, the faults that they had. Now, I, I don't want to glorify sin tonight. That's not at all the point. But I do want to try to bring Abraham down to earth a little bit. The Bible says about Abraham that he was the friend of God. What a title. Wow. The friend of God. Abraham is one of the, is the patriarch, really, right? I mean, You have the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But Abraham's the father of Isaac and Jacob. Abraham's like a big deal in Scripture. But Abraham, Abraham had his shortcomings. And Abraham had some big flaws. Some of you here tonight, you're thinking, well, surely God can't use me to do something great because I've got this in my past. Or I've got this uh, that I'm struggling with now. God did not pick a perfect man when he picked Abraham. He picked somebody that was flawed. And he picked someone that would mess up 
along the way. And messed up in some pretty big ways along the way. But he knew that in the end, Abraham would do what was right. So what were Abraham's sins? Letter A, notice his denial of Sarah. His denial of Sarah. Look down at Genesis chapter 12 and verse number 10. And there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down into Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was grievous in the land. And it came to pass, when he was come near to enter into Egypt, that he said unto Sarai his wife, Behold now, I know that thou art a fair woman to look upon. Oh, isn't that sweet? Sarah, you are so beautiful. And I can see Sarah blushing and saying, Thank you, Abraham, that's so sweet of you. But uh, that's not where he stopped. Look at verse 12. Therefore, it shall come to pass when the Egyptians shall see thee, that they shall say, this is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will save thee alive. Say, I pray thee, that thou art my sister, that it may be well with me for thy sake, and my soul shall live because of thee. Now, If you read on down, you'll learn that in some way, I believe maybe half-sister, Sarah was in some way his sister. And so you could say, well, was he technically lying? He was being deceptive. He was being deceptive. To all the wives here this evening, can you imagine? Can you imagine that? Your husband look at you and saying, hey, I know we're starving and I know we need to go here to get food. But if anyone asks, tell them we're not married. Um, I'm shocked Sarah didn't reach up and slap him. Sarah must have been beautiful. Beautiful. You know how many strangers would go through an area like Egypt? A country the size of Egypt? But here comes Abraham and Sarah... And sure enough, someone notices her and says, Hey, who's this guy? Oh, that's my brother. And she's taken in the palace. Well, God would protect her, and uh, this actually would happen twice. Abraham, shame on you. Shame on you. Where is your faith? Where is your obedience to God to trust Him that He can protect you? Letter B, notice his double marriage. His double marriage. Look at chapter 16 and verse number 1. The Bible says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, bare him no children, and she had an handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said unto Abram, Behold, now the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go in unto my maid. It may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abram Hearken to the voice of Sarai, and Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan, and gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife. And he went in unto Hagar, and she conceived, and when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. Oh, boy. Abraham and Sarah wanted a baby so bad. Oh, they wanted it so bad. And when Sarah couldn't get pregnant, 
instead of going to God and asking God what was going on, instead, um, they decided to take things in their own hands. They decided to take things in their own hands. And what happens? Abraham ends up marrying a second woman who gives him a baby. Is that obedience? Are they doing what God, are they following God's plan for their lives? I'd say they came to a fork in the road and they took the wrong road. And they got off course. Now, I don't want to bore anybody to tears tonight, but I don't feel like I've got to scream and shout to get my point across either. Sometimes in our lives, we know what's right, but we don't like the results that we're going to get if we do what's right. So we decide to take things into our own hands and we follow our own plan. And you know what? If you read on down, you'll find out that Sarah ended up hating Hagar and she ended up despising Ishmael and she would kick Ishmael out of the house And Hagar, in time, Hagar and Ishmael had to be recovered and saved by God. They were totally discarded and kicked to the curb. Why? Because Abraham and Sarah, they couldn't wait on God. They couldn't do it God's way. They had to take things in their own hands, and they had to come up with their own plan. And i got to tell you tonight that if you're here, and you have in some way denied God, or you have come up with your own plan that is separate from God, and maybe your heart is not right with God and you're living a life of disobedience, can I tell you that you might be in chapter 16 of your life, but you don't have to end in 16. You can get back on track and you can get to a 22-18 where God says, listen, all of these blessings are going to come because of your obedience. Hey, it really just comes down to a simple question tonight. Do you really, really believe That if you obey God in the fine details of your life, that He will give you the absolute best. Do you really believe that? Because if you believe it, then when God tells you, this is wrong, that's gotta go. This is needy, this needs to change. This needs to be tweaked. Hey, not only the sins of, uh, of commission, but how about the sins of omission? The ones that we leave out. And God says, I need you to read your Bible more. Or I need you to be involved in this way more. Or hey, there's this opportunity to serve at the church. Get involved here. Hey, uh, do this with your family or, 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 or give to this need or this cause. And we, we, we we say, no, you know what, God, I, I have a different plan for my life. And God says, okay, if you're not going to obey me, then I can't give you the blessings that come along with obedience. Number three, let's look at Abraham's struggles. Now, I'm not going to throw any stones at Abraham tonight because if a, the book of my life was written, boy, I've made some gaffes along the way. I've had my share of mistakes. And if I had grown up in Abraham's spot and lived Abraham's life, I probably would have made the same mistakes he made. And then when we begin to understand how hard it was for Abraham, the trials that he went through, boy, our heart begins to bleed with him. Let's look at letter A, notice his desolation. Look at Genesis chapter 13 and verse number 7. When I say his desolation, I'm talking about him being deserted, Him being left all by himself and him having to 
go at it alone. The loneliness factor. Look at chapter 13, verse 7. And there was a strife between the herdmen of Abram's cattle and herdmen of Lot's cattle. And the Canaanites and the Perizzites dwelled uh, there in the land. And Abram said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between my herdmen and thy herdmen, for we be brethren. Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou wilt take uh, the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if thou depart to the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plains of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, uh, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zoar. Skip down and look with me at verse 14. Now, now Lot is gone, and it's just Abraham. He's left behind all of his family in Haran. He's all by himself. The only family member he had left to, to commune with is now departed. He's all alone. Look at verse 14. And the Lord said unto Abram, after that Lot was separated from him, Lift up now thine eyes, and look from the place where thou art, northward and southward and eastward and westward. Look down at verse 18. Then Abram removed his tent, and came and dwelt in the plain of Mamre, which is in Hebron, and built there an altar unto the Lord. I remember back my junior and senior year of high school. My 10th grade year, we lived in Hartzell, Alabama, and I attended the Bethel Baptist Church, and I was a, a student at Bethel Baptist School. I was the MVP of the basketball team. Don't, don't think too highly of me because we didn't win a whole lot of basketball games. I think we had a losing record. Uh, but nonetheless, we were getting better. I was talking to uh, the man who would become the coach of that team the junior and se- my junior and senior year. And he said that that team went on to play in the state championship game what would have been my senior year. Uh, but, but, they didn't, uh, but I wasn't uh, there on the team. Boy, I had friends. I was connected. I was involved in the church. I loved where I was. I loved where I lived. I had a job. I enjoyed my job. I was making good grades in school. Everything was going great. And then my dad decided he was going to pick up our family and move us to Baltimore. I'd never even been north of Tennessee. He was going to move us to Baltimore, and he was going to start a school from scratch. The school from kindergarten to 12th grade, its first year, had 38 students. I was one of five juniors in the school. The school had no seniors. There were three boys in my class, but the other two boys had no heart for God. There was a girl in that class that loved God, and another girl in that class that was sort of, I would call a lukewarm Christian. I remember arriving and having no basketball team, no spiritual friends. I remember being lonely. And then I remember hearing a sermon about Abraham. Here's the truth, Christian. If you're at a place right now in your life where you feel alone, and I know there's some of you in this room that feel all alone. Yeah, you got friends at church and but they look, they don't get it. They don't go home and live with your grief. They don't 
they're not there in the moments of, of, of greatest stress in your life. And they try to console you and be nice to you. But they really don't get it. Maybe you're here tonight and you're going through a different struggle. And maybe you have someone in your life there to help you. But you just feel, you feel miserable. Before Abraham could become obedient, he had to learn how to walk with God all by himself. It couldn't be in a crowd. It couldn't be with Lot next to him. It it couldn't be with his family in Haran around him. He had to learn to do it all by himself. And he pushed everybody away and he looked up to God and he said, Okay, God, it's just me and you. And I'm lonely. And I'm in a land where I don't know anybody. And their culture is different. And and I don't I can't make friends with the people here. And 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 listen, it was so bad that when God eventually did give him a child, he had to send back to his homeland to Haran to get a wife for his son because he just didn't trust the people there. And there he is walking all by himself. And God was teaching uh, 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 Abraham here that if you're going to be great, you're going to have to learn to walk with me all by yourself. There are teenagers in the room tonight. Maybe you can relate with me. There are uh, young adults in the room, there are elderly in the room, and there are all kinds of in-between, and everybody's situation is different. But can I tell you that you must learn to make God personally yours. Letter B, notice his disappointment. His disappointment. Look at Genesis 17 and verse number 17. Again, God is coming to Abraham and assuring him that they're going to have a baby. But at this point, Abraham's just given up hope. He doesn't believe that he and his wife can have a baby. His wife's beyond menopause. And, and I mean, the guy's approaching a hundred and he just doesn't see it. Look at verse 17. Then Abraham fell upon his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born unto me that, that is in a hundred years old? And shall Sarah that is ninety years old bear... And Abraham said unto God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. He said, God, you keep promising me and Sarah are going to have a baby, but that's, that's clearly not going to happen. My wife is 90 and I'm 99, soon to be 100. Is God, do you really expect me to believe that you're going to do that? You think that Sarah and Abraham probably had some knockdown, drag out fights over this in their marriage? I bet they did. You think that uh, Abraham wasn't irritated and frustrated with God because things didn't work in his timetable the way he thought they ought to? You know, we have our own expectations of how we think our life ought to go. We, um, we draw it up, right? This is going to happen, and then this is going to happen, and then this is going to happen. Maybe when you were young, I'm going to get married and I'm going to have children and I'm going to have a marriage that lasts 50, 60 years. By the way, I found out today, Joan Syrett and her husband been married for 65 years. Isn't that something? That's not everybody's story. Somewhere along the line, your plan fell apart. Some disease struck your family. Some part of your plan fell apart and you became disappointed with God. You're not willing to say it in those words, but deep down in your heart, why would God let this happen to me? 
Boy, I, I tried to do my due diligence to prevent this disappointment, and it came. You don't have to let disappointments define you. But if you don't get up from the disappointment and learn to trust God, it will end up defining you. Abraham stayed the course. He kept following God, and God came through in a great way. And by the way, do you all know what Isaac's name means? It means laughter. Sarah laughed in the tent, denied it, but she laughed. Abraham laughed here. They named their son Laughter. Let's look at number four, and we'll finish up the sermon. Notice Abraham's submission. Abraham's submission. So the day comes where little Isaac is born. Oh my goodness, chapter 21 you find that. Oh my goodness. I wish I could have just been a fly on the wall the day after Isaac was born and just seen the joy and glee in that home. Isaac is uh, raised and uh, many biblical historians believe that Isaac was 30 years old when chapter 22 took place. I did some research this week on where the land of Moriah, you find that phrase in verse 2, uh, where the land of Moriah was or is, and it would appear to be the same area where Golgotha was. I love these little nuggets of truth in the Bible. You remember the cross on the screen this morning? Wasn't that neat? Um, I wouldn't be at all surprised to get to heaven and find out that Isaac was sacrificed on the same, where that sacrifice that almost happened, was the same hill where Jesus was sacrificed. I, I've also done some reading and researching that um, Adam's tomb was possibly beneath Golgotha, or in, the, in that hill there, and that when the earthquake happened, it's possible that the blood of Jesus ran down the crack, and the second Adam's blood landed on the head of the first Adam. Um, there are a lot, there's a lot of people out there that believe that. I don't know if I believe it or not, but I will say this. That would be really neat if that was the case, how that God would have orchestrated that. Now, Adam, or rather Abraham, has this son. He cherishes this son. And those of you here that have an only child, there is a, a more love and attention poured on an only child than if you have more than one. Okay, And um, uh, then more mom and dad got to get shared around. Isaac is just doted on and loved over in an intense way. And God wants to know something out of Abraham. Do you love Isaac more than you love me? You know what obedience is? Obedience is faith. Obedience is, okay, I'm going to obey because I trust you. Look at Genesis chapter 22, verse 1. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. Now we read this as a historical account. I'm like, oh, okay. But can you imagine that laying in bed? One morning next to your wife and God speaks to you. Or maybe you're going about doing your morning chores or you're sitting there sipping your coffee and, and God all of a sudden comes down and says, Hey, Abraham. Uh, yes? Hey, I want you to take your son. No, not Ishmael. Your only son that you love. 
um, your begotten son, Isaac, and I want you to take him up on a mountain, and I want you to plunge a knife in his chest and kill him. Oh my goodness. You want me to do what? Yeah, you heard me. Get to it. Well, God, you've never led me astray before. Here it goes. Now, I'd love to know what he went back in the tent and told his wife. I don't know if he told her or not, but he packaged, packed, packed uh, things up and they took a, a two or three day journey and they got, to, um, they got to the land of Moriah and God showed him the mount. Look at verse 4. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship. Look at there, the third day. Jesus arose again on the third day. What were they riding? They're riding an ass. The same thing Jesus rode on when he came into Jerusalem. Verse 6, And Abraham took the wood, took the wood of the bird offering and laid it upon Isaac his son. This is a picture of Jesus in the Old Testament. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went both of them together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My, my father. And he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And I believe there's probably a long pause between verse 7 and verse 8. And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went, both of them, together. They get up there and they build the altar. Isaac willingly lays his life down on that altar. There's no way a 130-year-old man is forcing a 30-year-old man on the altar. Isaac laid his life down freely on the altar because not only did uh, did Abraham trust God, but so did Isaac. The knife is raised in the air. He's getting ready to plunge it into his son and an angel comes and stops his hand. You know the story. Wow. They look over and there's a ram in the thicket. They go and get the ram and they sacrifice it. And because of Abraham's intense obedience, we find verse 18. Look at verse 18. And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons said, Father Abraham, I am one of them and so are you. You know why? You know why I'm a son of Abraham? Because through Abraham's uh, seed, Jesus would be born, and I am born into the family of God. Why did Abraham get to have the privilege of seeing the Son of God birth through his lineage? Because he obeyed God. Now, I don't know what great blessing God is getting ready to pour down on your life if you will just simply obey Him. But as long as you keep going off and doing your thing and struggling against God and living your life the way you want, you'll never, ever, ever get to see the tremendous blessing God wants to dump all over your life. Boy, I don't know about you, but I just want to do it God's way. And all this wretched flesh of mine gets in the way so often, but oh my, after I read this story and I read that verse, and I look at God and I say, you're no respecter of persons. 
And if you'll pour down a blessing on Abraham for his intense obedience, then what crazy command can you give me to follow so that I'll obey? You know, Abraham didn't wake up and go straight to a place where he was ready to walk his son up there. He had to get there over time. And as he obeyed in the little things, he climbed a ladder of obedience and he got to a place where God said, okay, you're ready for this big test. To the degree that we obey, to that same degree we enjoy God's obedience. I guess the whole sermon just really comes down to this question this evening. When are you going to be compliant to what God has for you? When are you going to quit just going through the rigmarole and routine of life and say, God, I don't want the, the, the disorder and the stress that comes from being disobedient to you. I'm ready to be the friend of God. I'm ready to have that strong relationship to God. And God, when you tell me to do something, I know you have my best in mind. And I'm going to work my best to do it so that you and I can be tight-knit together. Is that your spirit? Is that your spirit? Or are you a person who does what you want to and just shrugs your shoulders at God? Lord, I ask tonight that you'd help us to be honest with ourselves as we evaluate our hearts. Help us, Lord, to follow and obey. I think of the song, Trust and Obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. For the individual here tonight listening to the message, would you make it clear to them where they're not being obedient? Would you make it clear to me where I'm not being obedient? Help us, Lord, to be folks that fully enjoy the blessings of obedience. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand to our feet.